Praise the Lord. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says, And I saw it for a what? Man. Among those who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you touch this message, Lord. Lord, I pray that it be your message, Lord, that's delivered, Lord. Take away everything that is me, Lord God, and speak through me, Lord. Your words, your message, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement to every man and, and Lord and the women, Lord, uh, that are listening today. Lord, bless it and bless those who are listening at home, Lord. Uh, let our ears um, be attentive, Lord, to your word. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Everybody say amen. Praise the Lord. Now this scripture in Ezekiel, I won't actually be preaching from Ezekiel, but this verse is very, um, um, very interesting because in Ezekiel, uh, Israel, they're at the very last stage of their nation. Their, their nation, they've already had uh, one group of exiles that have been taken in 605 BC. Some of you will recognize that date. And then Ezekiel comes around 590, just a, few years after the second group is taken, and then a few years later, in 586, uh, they're going to be completely destroyed as a nation, and they won't exist on the face of the earth anymore. And so it's very interesting at the very last stage, when God is about to um, allow the enemy to come and destroy this nation, God is uh, stating to them that I can't find a man And so He's going to bring His judgment on them. Isn't that fascinating? And now one thing I do know is there were some men that were good men during that period of time in the nation of Israel. In fact, I can tell you for a fact that Daniel was around during this period of time. I can tell you that Ezekiel was around during this period of time. I can tell you Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were around this time. Daniel was also part of that third group of exiles. Habakkuk was also around during this period of time. So there were men who loved the Lord, but here's the problem, and here's what he's stating. The issue that they had wasn't that there wasn't a man. The the thing that he's stating is that the men and the society had deteriorated as men. That there wasn't there weren't men who were standing in the gap There weren't men who were uh, standing in the breach. There weren't men who were calling upon God. There was a deterioration um, of what God was looking for, and that was men who would stand in the gap. There were some that were there, but as a group, the men were not there. And I can honestly tell you that this period of time that they were going through is very similar to our nation you say, well, we have lots of men that are standing up for God, but we don't, we have a deterioration of that, uh, part of our society is deteriorating that are called men. And so the title of my message is, A Few Good Men. 
That means there are few, but God wants to raise up many. We need more than a few. We need men all over this nation to begin to wake up, to begin to shake themselves and say, what is my purpose? What is God's plan for my life? And this is not an easy thing uh, to answer. In fact, right now, you may not realize this, but the lowest attended service on average in the United States is Father's Day. And, and, And that's amazing because Mother's Day is the third best attended. So Mother's Day is the third most attended service, but Father's Day is the least attended. It's it's behind Labor Day and Memorial Day. Isn't that amazing? Behind Labor Day and behind Memorial Day. And it it is a example of this deterioration. This lack of respect, this attack, this um, lack of understanding of how important um, the role that God has given men in the Bible. And so we have to define that role because let's look right now at what's happening with the deterioration of men. You say, well, what are you talking about? I don't understand the deterioration. I want you to think right now about the prisons. I've seen one estimate that somewhere around 90% of the people that are in prison right now are male. 90% compared to 10%. Isn't that amazing? Drug use. Men are twice as likely to be addicted to drugs than women. Domestic violence. I don't have a statistic on that, but let your mind wonder. How much domestic violence is male compared to female? And as you begin to look, look at gangs. How many times have you ever seen large female gangs? How many gang members have you ever seen that are female? Comparison to men. There's no comparison. There's no comparison between the two. Isn't that amazing? You ever thought about that? Something in men is different than women that causes these statistics to be like this. You ever think there's some wiring in men that is different than women? And we're being told in this culture that we're all the same. But if we're all the same, why are the statistics so different? Because God has a wiring that has been short-circuited in our generation, and we, we don't know how to get back. There's a few good men, but as a whole, we're struggling as men in this country. So what are some of the things that have caused it to short-circuit? Well, one of the things is, in the last 50 years, every study will tell you the roles of men have changed more dramatically in the last 50 years than all of history put together. In fact, it used to be 50 years ago that for the most part, the man was the breadwinner. So he had value to the home. His role was, I work my butt off, okay? I work really hard, I bring the money home, 
And very little of the day, uh, the home or the day did he get to enjoy because he worked so hard and he put his body on the line and everybody knew that his role was to bring the money home. And so there was a genuine respect and there was a genuine need and there was a genuine um, um, understanding that he is sacrificing his body for us. He is providing the bills. We need Him in this family because of what He provides this family. And equally, it was a well-defined role for the mother. She would take care of the home. She would take care of the children's well-being. She would take care of all of those things. And there was a mutual respect and an identification of what our role is. You understand that? That changed. Now in most homes, or in many homes, she doesn't necessarily need your paycheck. She, in a lot of cases, out-earns him. I'm not saying all cases or the majority of cases, but do you understand the value of that paycheck and that sacrifice has diminished? In many homes, the father... Um, the role that he provided um, was a disciplinarian. He was a person that led the family. Okay, He was the one that was recognized usually as the head of a household. But now, that has diminished. Now you can't clearly identify who the head of the household is And you say, well, some of these are very positive changes. I'm not saying they're positive or negative. I'm just saying that this changed dramatically. And so because the roles changed, okay, and here's one thing you're going to find in every culture and every nation of the world. The roles are constantly changing. Technology has changed those roles. The workplace has changed those roles. Culture has changed those roles. How many of you know identity as a male or a female sexually has changed in this culture? And so we've got a cultural identity problem. We don't know what it means to be a biblical uh, male or father or brother or whatever we're called to be. We're kind of confused ourselves. What am I called to be? It used to be go get a job provide for your family, be the breadwinner, and you immediately knew your role. And so because of the fact that that role is no longer there, we've got confusion. And so there's one thing that can remedy that problem is not know your role, but know your purpose. Because roles change. In fact, you may legitimately have to stay home take care of the kids because of the wife's job. That role changed, right? So what is your purpose and what is your role? Because we're confused because our roles have changed, but I'm going to tell you something, God never does change. Your purpose as a man is the same as it's always been regardless of the culture. And so we need to connect with God's purpose. Why do we need to connect with God's purpose? The reason why is... Because God's purpose is the reason that He created male and female. In fact, the only way to know the purpose of anything in this world uh, is to understand what did the manufacturer intend for this thing to be. Okay? 
And so as you begin to look, you start off as you begin to invent a product, you start off with a blueprint. And that blueprint is drawn out very meticulously and very carefully. And you have plans and you have purposes for whatever it is you're putting on a piece of paper. How many know all inventions start on a piece of paper? And the more advanced that technology is, um, the more you have to detail on a piece of paper what each part of that electronic piece does. You know, everything that that uh, particular mechanical, if you're a mechanical engineer, everything has a purpose and everything uh, has a plan. And so only the manufacturer really knows what its intended purpose is. And so in order to understand what are we called to be as men, we have to go back to the manufacturer. How many understand that to be true? We have to go back to the manufacturer and figure out what is it that God intended us to be. And so as we go back, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. In fact, let me read this scripture. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart. Boy, isn't that the truth? How many know that many are the plans? There used to be a cartoon in this. I can't believe I'm saying this on Sunday morning here, but there was a cartoon called Pinky and the Brain. Anybody ever remember <laughs> Pinky and the Brain? One of my favorites. Uh, Braxton, where are you at? I don't know. I don't see Braxton in here. He and I used to sit and watch that every day, Pinky and the Brain. And uh, the idea was there was this little uh, annoyed little, uh, I think he was a mouse, wasn't he? And he had this giant cranium and this giant brain, and every day he had a new plan to take over the world. And Pinky was just kind of this sidekick of his, and every day Pinky would say, what are we going to do today? He said, take over the world. And many are the plans of a man's heart, right? We uh, sometimes, in fact, my wife would say, you're like, like him. Every day you wake up and you got this new plan and you exhaust me. Okay? <laughs> So many are the plans in a man's heart. But Proverbs 19.21 says, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Amen. That means we can waste our time doing a lot of things that are in a man's heart, but God's purpose really is the most important thing to get a hold of. Why did He manufacture me? Why did He create me? What is my purpose in this world? Because when the roles begin to change then you're lost. Your identity is gone. You uh, don't understand because we've been told that our purpose is something different than maybe what God said our purpose and His plan for us as a male is. I mean, all this is important stuff. To know, what am I here for? What is God's purpose that is going to prevail? Hallelujah. So there are lots of opinions on what a male should be. How many know that? I mean, know that we're bombarded with what a male should be. If you read, if you watch commercials on TV, you're told all kinds of ideals on what a male should be, right? Male should drink this, male should wear this, male should act like this. We watch sitcoms on TV and we're constantly told what a male in America looks like. You know, he's lazy, sits on the couch, you know, watches TV all day. You know, how many know we're bombarded even though we don't know it on what a male is? You know, in the culture. And so many are the opinions of what a man should be, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. What we should be 
is identified in the Bible. And it's identified by our manufacturer who created us different and wired us different. Do you understand that? That's why we're in so many gangs. That's why we're so many in prison. That's why so many are addicted. That's why so many are domestically violent compared to women. Because we are just wired different. So let's go back and let's look and let's find out three things about man that I think is very important. Number one, what is his purpose? Okay, that's big picture. What did God create different about man? Second thing is, what is my responsibility to this world as a man? And the last thing, this is going to break it down even more because first is purpose. That's a big picture. All right? Responsibility is, what is God holding me accountable for as a man? And number three, what are my tasks or my duties? What are the little steps that I should be taking every day as a man in this culture? Because let me remind you, Ezekiel 22 is he can't find men. So when he says he can't find a man, does that mean that the whole nation was made up of women? Just like that Amazonian tribe of all women and that's all they had and God is saying, I can't find a man? I don't think it is. That was a rhetorical question. I don't think it was. I just don't think God could find a man that was doing what God purposed man to do. And that's what God's looking for in our nation. He's looking for a man. Looking for men who will stand up and do what God's called them to do. So the first thing we look at for His purpose is we look at the moment that God created man. So we've got to go back to Genesis and you say, man, Chad, I've read that so many times you can't teach me anything new about my creation, okay? The first thing we want to look at is it says first... God formed the man. It says in Genesis 2-7 that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Wow. That's fascinating. So let's look here. Purpose. This refers to man's order in creation and what this means in regard to his reason for being alive. Responsibility refers to the environment and the place in which God put him and what purposes did he have to carry out. His task means the functions that man has been giving, given to accomplish, okay? So God created, and it's Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female He created them. Isn't that fascinating? God gives a summary of creation, and He says, so God created man, this is a general term, man, in His own image, in the image of God He created Him. Male and female, He created them. So in Genesis 1.27, we see a summary of His creation of male and female, And it says He created them in His own image. He created them male and female. So God creates male and female in His own image, and He gives a general term called man or mankind. But then, 
In Genesis 5, 1 and 2, he gives a summary of it again. He says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. On the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and named them mankind on the day that they were created. So how many know that God created two different bodies because he had two different purposes? It doesn't mean the man was greater or lesser than the woman. It just means he created two different beings that he called mankind. Right? And they both have the Spirit of God and they both bear the image of God, but they both have two different purposes or God wouldn't have wired them different and He wouldn't give them two different bodies. So this is fascinating because when you go on, you begin to see in 2.21, God begins to give a detailed account of how He created in what order. And unless you understand this order, am I echoing? Unless you understand this order, you won't understand his purpose and his distinctiveness between male and female. It says in Genesis 2.21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. I feel like I sound different. Somebody fix that. All right, am I good? So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at the place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, this is what the man said, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because he was taken out of man. So this is fascinating. How many know that they were created differently? Man was actually formed out of the dust of the ground, right? And where was woman at that time? In him. The woman was actually present, but she wasn't formed from the dust of the ground. She was formed out of him. And so they were created differently. And how many know there is an interlude in between? There's a period of time where the man was alone. And it said, the Bible says in Genesis that God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. He needs a helpmate. He needs somebody with him to help him accomplish the things that I've called him to do. And so God created the woman out of the man. Now, there's a lot of fascinating things that happen during this interlude. And how many know by studying the interlude, you can study what God's intention was for the man? Because God specifically, God specifically began to build society and the family in a certain fashion. And his fashion and his order and his priority was, I'm going to spend time with the man first before I've created the woman. So how many know, is it not close enough? So the man was the foundation of what was to be the family. 
The man was the foundation of what was to be the family. A lot of people say, well, the family is the foundation. It's the adhesive that sticks our culture and our society together. But the man was to be the foundation of what the family was to be. In fact, let me give you a statistic that that also stresses this wiring that we have. The statistic is when a woman attends church without her husband, 17% of the family, 17% of the time, the family will attend church. But if the man attends church with the wife, 93% of the family will attend church. Now in one way, I hate this statistic because that 17% are some of the greatest women the world has ever known because they've held their family together and they've been that foundation that the family builds on. But do you see how the percentage when the male attends church, the percentage of the family that will also attend church, if you reverse it, it's 17%. If you go the other way, it's 93%. So the male attending church has almost a 100% percentage rate that the family will attend church as well. Isn't that amazing? And so God has wired us to be leaders. God has wired us to to be visionary. So when God begins to build the house, God begins to build a foundation. And so man is that foundation, but the Bible also says... Listen to this. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine, this is Matthew 7.24, and acts on them, he's like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rains fall and the floods come and the winds blow and they slam against that house. And yet it does not fall for it has been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and the collapse was great. Church, we have a nation that is not built on the rock. Now what is the rock? Romans 9.33 says, Just as it is written, I will lay in Zion a stone, a stumbling, a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Isaiah Therefore, says the Lord God, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes will not be disturbed. First Peter, precious value then is it for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone that the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, the stone of stumbling, the rod of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and their doom has also been appointed. Ephesians. This having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, the cornerstone, the whole building is being fitted together, growing into a holy temple of the Lord, whom you're also being built together. And you say, well, man, Jesus is the cornerstone. Cornerstone is that piece that you build everything else around. And how many know Adam is in the garden God created him to lead, and the reason I know that is 
Because the Bible says that all the instructions were given to Adam before the woman was created. Do you know that? God actually took Adam through the garden and began to explain what he was to do. He said, hey, you're to take care of this garden. Before the curse was even there, he was there to take care of the garden and cultivate it. How many know that? And then he says in 2.16, he says, look over the garden here. Have a vision of what I'm preparing this place to be. I want you to see what this place is supposed to be. In fact, he called it the Garden of Eden. The garden word in Hebrew means the enclosure or the fenced-off area. Eden means the delicate, beautiful place. So God fenced off this garden, enclosed this garden, took Adam through it, gave him all the instructions, and he said, take care of all of it. In fact, take care of all of it, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one you don't touch. And then later, he created the woman. Isn't that fascinating? So God actually called Adam to pass that word on to her. He was responsible to deliver that message and ensure that that message was given to them. In fact, Adam was responsible for that message. That's why God held him accountable. Because he was responsible to deliver that message in the garden. And so God expected the first purpose that man has is the man is to be the foundation that is built around the cornerstone. You say, well, man, what's happening to our country? You know, if you go around our country, the numbers of women that are filling our churches greatly outnumbers the men. And you say, well, why are our foundations broken? Why are our foundations ruined? Why are our foundations so bad right now? Because the foundation piece, the men, are not connected with the cornerstone. And you say, well, wait a minute. How did the men get to be more important than the women that they're the foundation? Have you ever seen a house? Have you ever seen a house is built? In fact, how many have ever thought about the foundation of this church? What it's built on, the physical foundation. How many have ever put any thought into it? Nobody thinks about the foundation. How many have ever walked through your house and aside from the times you have problem or you have cracking in the foundation or you have a problem? How many have ever sat and thought about the foundation? How many have walked into somebody's home and said, you have the most beautiful foundation? Foundation is beautiful, so functional. Let me know that there are a lot of things in a building that are not seen, they're hidden. But the strength of that foundation is what holds that entire house together. And see, God has called us to align with the cornerstone as men. That's our number one priority. God has instructed us, you are responsible to make sure your family shows up at church. You're responsible for teaching your children the things of God. Well, wait a minute, that's wrong because I've, I've already given that responsibility to school. I've already given it to the church. Why is Chad not doing more to teach my children? You say amen, I mean. But see, God has entrusted us with laying the foundation. 
Now let's say that a storm comes. Foundation's not as important as the roof. Let's say that company's coming over to see your house. The foundation and the roof aren't as important as all the decorations. Not as important as the table. Not as important as the kitchen. Not as important as the dining room. And you say, well, man, why do they get to be the foundation and I'm not? Because God has wired us. It's our purpose in life is to be the foundation built around Christ so our families can be built on that foundation. Purpose. I'm talking about why did you... Get created, why were you rewired? Why did God, in the order that He did, build the man first and then took the woman out of him to build on top of that foundation? Because God's called us to be the foundation. Now I want you to look at our nation and look at all of the fatherless children in this nation. Just imagine that you don't have a good foundation. And you're looking around and the foundation is busted and you see the wall start to get crooked. I mean, no, that's what happens when you have a bad foundation. We don't have many because we have building codes in this nation. But go to some of the third world countries and you'll see some of the things are built. Go to rural America. All right, go to Posey County. <laughs> go out in the sticks where there's no building codes, okay? And uh, I've got a, I think I've got a few structures that I built for... Um, you know, a woodshed and a few things that you can see what happens when the foundation's not great on it. Everything gets crooked. Everything gets out of whack. You really can't build much on it. How many know when you build a foundation, the first thing they're going to ask you say, well, foundation's a foundation. You just pour a foundation for any building and pretty well, same thing, man, everything for every building. That's not the case. When you build a building, the first thing you do is get a structural contractor you find somebody that understands foundations and you have to figure out how much weight is going to be on this building. How heavy does the roof is the roof going to be? What are you planning on building on top of this? And so the foundation determines what can be built on it. And can I tell you something? America is full of we're a nation full of people that don't have foundations, they don't have fathers. And we wonder why our nation is uh, on the doorstep of judgment. Because there are kids walking around and they've grown up in a house that has a mud floor. They walk, they're walking around in a house that's crooked and fallen down. They're walking on a house where they can't build anything for their future because they have no foundation because God can't find a man. God can't find a man. So I'm a man because I was taught if I can fight, I'm a man. I've been taught if I can drink, I'm a man. I've been taught if I, you know, treat women this way, I'm a man. But see, God can't find a man. There's a few good men, but God needs men. Men that will fashion themselves a foundation. You say, well, Chad, I don't, I'm, I'm tuning you out because I don't have kids. No, God needs a man. Our nation needs men. Our nation needs people that are willing to build foundations that get this. The future can walk on and be stable. Because men, men sit back and we watch pornography destroy our nation and we don't do anything about it. 
Because men do nothing. Men sit back and watch our culture being destroyed and don't do anything. And you say, well, well, has there ever been a time where men stood up? Yeah, we wouldn't have a country if men didn't stand up for the things of the Lord and build a foundation. We're walking on that foundation and we're watching it be destroyed. So God is looking for some men to stand up in our country in our society, in our culture. In fact, God's looking for a few men in Congress. But He can't find one. And you say, well, what happens when the man is not around? Can't the woman build the foundation? And I say, absolutely, they can and they do. But that's not the order of how God intended it to be. In fact, that's why I hate the 17% statistic Because these women are doing amazing things. I mean, you've got young men that have never had a dad. They're in a fatherless society. And all they can talk about is how much they love mom. Because mom is building that foundation that they can build a stable life on. But you know how hard that is? You know how hard that is? Because that's against the order of how God intended it to be. That woman uh, deserves a lot of credit for standing in going to church, attending church, building foundations around God, and giving them something stable to build their life on. But man, that's where God's called us. That's our purpose. That's why He created us first, gave us the instructions, and said, hey, let me tell you another thing that God did. God spent time, His presence... You know, Adam was the first one to experience God. He was the first one in that enclosed area in the garden. In fact, God didn't give him the whole earth yet. God gave him a small little area, and God walked with them in the cool of the day. Adam got to know God first. He had a priority there. I want to make sure he knows me, because if he knows me, guess what he'll do? He'll tell the whole family about me. He's a leader. He's one that I can trust to tell them how great I am. And men, can I tell you another purpose? Because it was before the woman was created. God revealed Himself to Adam before the woman was created. And how many know that that's part of our purpose? Our purpose was to know God, to see God's plan, God's purpose for the world around us. And God was calling us to bear His image and let everybody know what He's like. In fact, if we're going to be a great father, if we're going to be a great um, influence in our generation, we're going to have to reflect God. Because God wants us to know Him, because when we know Him, what would happen if men... In fact, you want to know why promise keepers are so attacked? In fact, they're being attacked like crazy right now. They're attacked... Deferred status and all that's being attacked. You know what's being attacked? Because the Bible says when revival comes, the sons and the fathers will be reconnected. Can you imagine if this nation was full of men that say, I have a relationship with God, I know God, I walk with God in the cool of the day, God walks with me, I hear His voice, come, I want you to know God. If we had a nation full of men that did that and fulfilled their purpose, which is God saying, hey, spend some time with me. Get to know me. It's going to be very important that you know me. And God intended for that borders of the Garden of Eden to grow until His glory filled the whole earth. You know that? 
That was just like a little enclosure to say, hey, see what it's like to fully have the presence of God. And then as you expand, Adam, he didn't put him on the whole earth yet. He said, I'm going to put you in this enclosure to experience my presence, my blessing, my glory, just walking with me. And he said, then let's expand that. Let's go over the whole face of the earth that my glory covers it. God intends our purpose to be to know God. Hallelujah. Another thing that He called men to do. It says in Genesis that He called them to cultivate the garden and work in the garden. Say, man, I hate Satan. You know, I have to work by the sweat of my brow because of sin. Wait, hold on. That was before sin. God called him to cultivate the garden before sin and the curse came. Cultivate the garden and care for it. Now I'm trying to get your mind off rolls because the role is I bring home bacon or I'm the winner of the bread and that's why I'm especially valued. And I'm trying to tell you your role is not as important as your purpose. So what does it mean to cultivate a garden that doesn't have thorns and thistles yet? It means your full focus is on the fruitfulness of the garden. Like, I'm here to make this garden fruitful for the glory of God. And can I tell you something? If we were real men, our focus in this church would be the fruitfulness of everybody in our church. The fruitfulness of everybody in our family. And you say, what does that mean? That means when you have a church that has strong men, they're not afraid to elevate everybody in the church to do the work of the ministry. God's called us to cultivate and make this place fruitful. That means step on me so you can do something great for God. Every man, every woman, and every child should sense men in this church saying, be fruitful. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you're fruitful, you're growing in God. In fact, if you're a dad, you need to look at those kids and you need to say, what can I do to make them fruitful for God? And how many know that was our original purpose? To bear fruit, to cultivate, you know, to prune. Say, oh no, I don't want to be that kind of dad. I'm passive. Well, you better quit being passive because you were purposed to do that. What can I do in my child's life to help them be fruitful? Does that mean I have to discipline them because I love them? Yeah. That mean I have to make the road a little harder if they're going the wrong direction? Yeah, does that mean my kids are not going to like me sometimes? Because I'm asking them if they love the Lord. I'm asking them if they worship the Lord. I'm asking them if they're reading their Bibles. I'm asking them if they're raising their hands every Sunday and worshiping God. That means that my job, my purpose, why God created me before the woman was ever pulled out of me, He said, you're to cultivate that garden. He also said you're to care for the garden. I thought cultivating was caring for the garden. No, caring for the garden is protecting. That means before she was ever created out of him. The reason I keep saying before she was created, because she is the complementary piece. He wasn't whole until he had the help of the woman. How many of you know whether you're single, whether you're married, this church will not do the things God's called us to do without the complementary piece of the woman. You say, well, they're a little piece. I'm 90% there, 10. No. 
50-50. That means if you're intimidated by women, women doing the work of the ministry, we just simply can't accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. We need people that are being elevated in this church, men, women, children, everybody, and men are the willing to cultivate and men who are willing to care and protect. God's looking for a few men, but He can't find them. We're called to protect, church. We're called to protect. You know that we're naturally wired to protect? In fact, I was counseling one day, and she, and, and you know, when you're counseling, marriage counseling, one of the major, major things is annoying habits. Let me know this to be true. Raise your hand. So we can all look at it. But annoying habits, okay? And here's what happens in a marriage. There's 20 or 30 annoying habits, and none of them are deal breakers. None of them are things that you would get divorced over. But the culmination of all 20 or 30 can drive you so crazy that you want to be divorced. Okay, or it can cause a divorce. So as a counselor, you have to break down all of these little habits because usually they're how they're wired. And the edges are just rough. And as long as the edges aren't rough, you're not hurting each other and you can live with their annoying habits. And that's a lot of marriage counseling. That's the biggest part of marriage counseling. And so one annoying habit that I see quite often with men and women don't understand it is, one of them was telling me one day, he drives me nuts. He checks all the doors. He makes sure none of the windows are unlocked. He's always talking about unusual behavior of the neighbors. And I said, you know, I apologize, but I'm the same way. And I'm terrible. I'm like the worst. I have to sit a certain way in the restaurant where my back's still... How many men are like this? My back's got to be against the wall. I've got to see the entrances. I'm watching who's coming in and coming out. I'm watching who has a back, backpack. I'm watching, and you say, well, man, what do you have a background in the FBI? No, I don't. Um, before bed at night, I check all the doors multiple times to make sure they're all locked. Okay, I can't walk around the house in sock feet because one time I wrestled somebody in sock feet and didn't do well. Can I tell you, there's some natural wiring here. Some natural wiring where God has called us to protect. God has called us to protect those who are around us, to protect the church. God's have us on guard for what's healthy, uh, for the sheep in this church, your family. Your, your family needs to know that you're there to protect them and, and there to watch over them. And it's a natural wiring that God gave Adam because he said, care for the garden. And I'm going to close with one last thing here that I see as natural wiring. How I many know we've got to protect? Amen. And the last thing he said was, he created woman, and it says that Adam says, after she was created, she is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And Adam said, I shall call her woman. God allowed Adam to name all of the animals. Do you know why God... Had him name the animals. In fact, my girls, one of them got a goat. And because she is the only one, that, she says she's the only one that goat responds to and won't eat for anybody else. And she had naming rights because she's responsible for that goat. That's her goat. 
So she named him. The other one right over here, she has chickens. And she has the naming rights of those chickens because she, go on, raise your hand. She takes care of the chickens, right? And here's the thing, in the Hebrew culture, that naming bore the responsibility to take care and be responsible. So they say, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they say even God named His own Son, Jesus. Told Him what His name would be for that reason, Hebrew culture. Because when you name, you're responsible. How many know the reason in our culture why the woman takes on the name of the man is because he is responsible for her. Church, can I tell you one of our purposes in life, one of the tasks that God has called us to do is to be responsible for women, responsible for children. The level of responsibility, in fact, I can't even imagine this. I was reading a story the other day. And it was about a man who was um, he was on he was in the battle on D Day, and uh, he talks about what it was like to walk to jump out of a plane as a just barely out of high school, and it was the dark of night, and all this fire was going back and forth, and he had to jump out of the plane through all that fire on every side of him and jump out of the plane and jump right in the middle of the enemy. In fact, their job was to jump in the middle of the enemy and get on the backside of the enemy there. Can you imagine being 19, 20 years old in a war and knowing that you're jumping into the night with all this crossfire back and forth? You don't know where you're going to land. You don't know if you're going to be hit. And you don't know if you'll live again. And, and they asked him, asked this man that I was reading the story about that did that. They said, what were you thinking? Did you think you were going to die? And he said, I felt like I probably would die. Said, but the reason I jumped was I knew everything in my life that was important to me was at stake. And so I did it anyway. And man, I want you to think about that. How many wars have good men gave their life for the sake of their country? We're wired that way. That's why when we're little, we have... And, 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 and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that women aren't wired the same way. I'm just saying percentage-wise, there's different wiring. For the most part, men are playing with G.I. Joes. All right? We've got guns and we're playing... I mean, we're fighting the bad guy with guns. We're, you know, learning karate in our backyard. We're using weaponry as sticks and making uh, bows and arrows... Okay, we, we we set up little armies and ambushes. Okay, we are by percentage wired differently, even though a lot of women have done the same things and are equally noble. We're wired different, and men, we're called to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of everybody that's around us. And one of the problems that we have in the United States is there are too many men living for themselves. You say, well, I don't have kids. I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about giving ourselves for the gospel of Jesus Christ, laying foundations so the next generation can walk on something stable, fighting against evil at every turn. And you say, well, we're not called to be 
politically involved. Yes, we are. Oh, I just crossed the line, didn't I? If evil is thriving, we're here to fight it. Not to be partisan, not to be, you know, one or the other. We're there to fight it. Whatever that means, whatever that means to fight evil, um, we're here to fight it. There should not be in a nation where there are men, all right, there shouldn't be drag queens doing story hour. And the only reason that is allowed to survive is because God can't find a man. Because a man's got a wig on and makeup. <laughs> you say, well, man, you're a hater. No, I'm not a hater. I'm a lover of God. And I want the next generation to walk on stable ground. Can I tell you, men in women's bathrooms, women in men's bathrooms, that's not stable ground. That's not a foundation this nation can build on. You know it and I know it. All right? You all know it. But God is looking for men. Say, well, they'll call me names. They'll persecute me. They'll say that I'm a hater. They'll call me, you know, all these different names. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Our forefathers fought in wars and died at the age of 18 and 19 because they believed it was the right thing to do. The least that we could do is stand up politically. The least we could do is stand up to the people that are around us and, 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 we need to stand up and build a foundation because that's what our purpose is. You notice I didn't say a lot of the traditional roles. I'm going to the roots. The roots of where God's called us as men. And guess where the women are called? To compliment us. To be next to us and help us accomplish it. In fact, can I tell you something? And I'm going to close with this. I went to the conference last week and I just got kind of wrecked a little bit. And for a lifetime, I've tried to stand strong and be strong and bear the load, bear the weight, and sometimes stand in the place where God should be. It's like I took the weight upon myself and every time somebody failed that I was responsible or thought I was responsible for, I took it personal. Like I couldn't fix that person. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I failed this person. I failed that person. And it caused me for a lifetime to overwork myself because I'm trying to stand in the place where God called me to be and and so this message was almost from the Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which means my strength is perfected, His strength is perfected in my weakness. But I kept saying to myself, God, there's no way to preach that message without sounding like men need to come from a passive weakness. What are you trying to say through that? Because God was teaching me that I'm stronger when I recognize that God is my strength as opposed to my strength. And that's what men have been taught. It's your strength that will allow you to do all these things. It's your strength that will accomplish these things. It's your strength that will make change. And what God was giving me the message loudly and clearly is, if you'll learn to be weak, you'll be strong in me. Because church, we're not able. In fact, I'm convinced 
But a lot of the problems are men, the men have, are because they feel like they're not able to accomplish what God's called them to do. In fact, a lot of them are sitting in taverns because they feel like they failed their family. A lot of them are, feel like they're failure as far as they, you know, providing for their family. A lot of them feel like they're failures. And, and, and I was still not, didn't have a way to be able to explain what I'm talking about with, I am stronger when I am weak. And on the way to church, I was praying about that, that I didn't have a good way to explain that because I understood that I got to be vulnerable and I've got to lean on God and not on my own understanding. And God said, do you remember when you were working construction? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And he said, do you remember when you had to take those concrete saws and you had to make stress cuts in that concrete? How many have ever heard of that? You literally take a perfectly strong poured concrete and you intentionally cut it. Because when the stress comes, which is going to come, it doesn't break. How many of you know by cutting the concrete, you put stress fractures in there, and so when the worst stress comes, it'll be able to handle it. And can I tell you something, men? God is going to examine the integrity of your heart. He's going to ask you to be strong. He's going to ask you to build a foundation around the cornerstone. He's going to ask you uh, to be strong for your family. But God, if you'll open your heart and you'll open your ears to the Spirit of God in your life, He's going to put cuts in you. He's going to humble you. He's going to break you. He's going to break you. In fact, you know what He's going to do? He's going to put you in a position where you can't pay the bills. And you're going to do everything in your power. You're going to do everything in wisdom's power. Sometimes you're even going to make mistakes. And you're going to say, God, I can't do it. I've done everything I can. I've done everything I can. I've done everything I can. How many men have ever been there frustrated? I've done everything I can. And God's saying, trust me. And there goes that concrete saw. How many have ever used a concrete saw? They're fun. We love it because we're wired that way. But it's not so good when God pulls it out, starts it up, and He starts cutting into your heart and saying, you're going to have to trust me with your money. And you're like, God, that hurts because I'm a provider. I'm self-sufficient. I'm independent. And He says, when you're weak, you're actually stronger. Because now the enemy doesn't have a place to stress my and fracture my heart. Because God pre-cut me. You're going to have something happen where they're not going to follow your leadership in your family. You might have a prodigal son. How many know that the father in that parable was a good father? How many know you could be a great father? In fact, can I tell you, this is my problem. From a very young age, I was the what's called the hero child. That means all the pressure is put on that hero child to fix the family. And so do you know what that does and why that person is so dysfunctional? Because they look healthy. They're so dysfunctional because every time somebody fails, they take it so hard they can't hardly handle it. In fact, your pastor before me would counsel a couple, and if they got divorced or broke up, he'd take it so hard. You know that, don't you? 
Lisa was telling me the other day that he struggled with the same thing I struggled with. I take it hard. In fact, I would take it so hard I would go to a dark place. The enemy would use that because I was so dark of a place because I had failed. And how many know God's got to make that stress cut? And say, if you're going to keep doing work for me, if you're going to keep being a man, you're going to have to understand that I'm God and you're a man. There's things that I do and there's things that you do. And so God makes that stress cut. You know why I don't have alcohol issues? Why I don't have drug issues? Because I turn to God. Not a substance. If you don't have God cut that stress fracture, that solid concrete of your heart, you're not going to be able to handle it. You're going to blame yourself for that prodigal son. You're going to blame yourself for that lost family member. You're going to blame yourself for every negative thing that happened. And guess what? You're going to find a place to be guilty. Because you know why? You're a sinner. You make mistakes. You fail. You make errors. You don't do things the right way. That's why God is screaming at the top of His lungs, you are a sinner and I am God. So you're going to have to let God make that cut in your heart and say, I'm going to to make a stress fracture right there. You quit putting that on yourself. Put that weight on me. Remember he said that, that his burden is light. And so God is going to allow you to accomplish everything He's called you to accomplish as a man and as a woman, but you're going to have to allow Him to make you strong by what appears to be making you weak. In fact, Paul said in, in the context of that verse, he was trying to tell those people that thought themselves to be great leaders, he said, I am strong because I've been through sickness that God didn't heal. I've been through persecutions that He didn't take me out of. I had people insult me. Um, that I didn't fight back. He said, I had people persecute me. How many know that Paul was trying to explain because God has made those stress cuts in my heart that the enemy can't break me up? How many understand what I'm saying? If you want to be strong, you've got to let God begin to cut you and humble you and realize that you're not God. This is the problem with most men, this arrogance that we have that we can do it that I can pull myself up by the bootstraps, that I'm independent, that I don't need God, that I don't have to build my life around God. And how many know God is going to be trying to remove that pride from every man's heart? Because we can't be the men God's called us to be unless we let God break us. Ever been broken by God? What a beautiful thing to be broken by God. You say, man, Chad, I've been avoiding that my whole life. I'm just being honest. I'm I'm not actually joking. We say that. You don't say it out loud and you don't know you're saying it, but you say, man, I don't want God to break me. I don't want to go through anything hard. I don't want God to bust me up. That's because you're so full of pride you can't be a man. God's saying, I can't find a man. I just can't find one. But if you allow God to break you up, He'll put these stress fractures inside of you. And you'll become stronger than you ever could be on your own. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Yeah, I was um, up at the conference and uh, I just want to tell you, I, I wanted to put a good face forward because we're trying to get funding and um, trying to um, 
impress them with our ministry plan and, you know, say, hey, this is a good place to, you know, give funding to. And, and I get up there and guess what? I'm cracking apart. In fact, uh, the pastor that was counseling me, I couldn't quit crying. I find I'm, I'm at the conference and I'm hugging a pastor and crying and wondering what's going on with me. I didn't understand it. And he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I can tell you right now that you've been strong your whole life. You've held it all in. You don't talk to anybody about it. He said, but you're leaking all over the table. He said, you're cracking apart. And can I tell you something? What was cracking me apart was I felt like I had failed so many people my whole life because they depended on me. They counted on me. I was a hero, and the hero couldn't save the day. Man, how many feel that? And we don't tell anybody that. We don't say anything. And we feel like we've failed. And God's saying, hey, just follow me. It'll take that weight off of you and just, just do, serve me, love me, obey me. I'll make you the man that you need to be. In fact, how many times did David, in fact, I think David suffered with the same thing. How many times um, did David just fall upon the Lord and say, I failed? I failed again, I failed again, I failed again. And God did that with David, made him a great, say he was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect, not because he was strong, but because every time he failed, he allowed God to break him. Right back to God. Break me again, God. Break me again. To the point where he trusted God to break him. So church, I'm telling I want to infect him. We're going to, let me do this. Um, let, let's have all the males come forward. I want every male that's in here. And here's what I want to do: as we we're going to worship, but I'm going to pray over this group. I want every male to come up here to the front. Can I tell you something about foundations? Every male that we have here, I don't care if they're really close here. Really close. I want you to come behind them. Hallelujah. Many of us, many of us didn't have foundations. How many know that? Many of us didn't have foundations to walk on. We didn't have the stability of that foundation. And how many know when you don't have a foundation, sometimes you're the best builder of a foundation? Because I didn't have that. I didn't build that foundation so God can make you a great builder of that foundation you just got to trust God you got to connect to the cornerstone and God will help us build foundations as men that will change our city will change our nation and and, and today we're going to pray for these men but we're also going to pray for this nation that God would raise up men godly men that are willing to stand and fight to the end sacrifice themselves completely so women, if you would, I always want you to lay hands on the men. And we're going to pray and we're going to worship. Them. I just want you to think about that message today. That's called us to do our purpose. Heavenly Father, right now, we pray your anointing, Lord, upon these men, Lord God. Father, the call upon their life. Father, we know the purposes and the plans, Father, that you've called us to do, Lord God. Father, I pray right now for an anointing upon our men, Lord. Father, that we fulfill your call, Lord God, that we draw closer.
to you, Lord God, that we build foundations, that the future of this church can stand on, Lord. Father, that our children can stand on, Lord. Father, that we would be men that are resolved, Lord God, to live for you like Daniel. He had decided in his heart, he had resolved, Lord, to serve you all of his days, Lord God. Father, I pray for the young, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would put an anointing upon them, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would build godly men, Lord God, who aren't afraid, Lord, to stand up for you. Oh, Father, you said that the young, Lord, would see visions, the old, the dream dreams, Lord God. Father, do this in your men, Lord God. Bless them, Lord. Lord, I pray your blessing upon our women, Lord God. Father, you've raised them up equally, Lord God, to do mighty and great things. Father, you have wired them to be the complement that we need, Lord God. Father, they do things that we're not able, Lord. Oh, Father, they are vital for our success, Lord God, together. Bless them, Lord God. Anoint them to you. In your name we pray. Thank you, Lord. similar to me but there's this scene where this older man is setting this young man down and he says you know many a man draws a circle around himself he said and then there's some good men that draw a circle around them and their family he said but then there's a few great men who draw a very large circle around many people and he cares for many people and the guy was talking to him about being a leader and having leadership and I just felt like while Chad was preaching the Lord was saying he's looking for some people to draw a very large circle around many people and be a leader praise the Lord church as I close in prayer I want to remember to pray for our men because um culture has changed so much there's just an upheaval and like I said the roles have changed and there's not a lot we can do about the changing of the roles but what we can do is fulfill our purpose even in the culture and our purpose is not your role everybody remember that but pray for the men because every man that we turn to God causes an alignment to shift. How many know that? There's an alignment that shifts when we when we pray a man into his purpose, into his proper purpose in life. And God aligns that family toward God. Just an alignment. God, the father, the mother, the family. There's an alignment there. How many know that? And so we want to pray that God would reach men in our culture to be fulfill their purpose in God. Hallelujah. It's hard. 
it's difficult and there's an upheaval and when we're out of whack I mean no everything gets crooked and God wants us all to be aligned and uh, we need to pray we don't need to criticize right amen we need to pray pray that God would move among our men in this country hallelujah let's pray heavenly father oh father I pray a revival Lord, a revival among the men of this country. That you'd raise up men, Lord God. To seek your face, to line up with you. To be active in their families, Lord. Bless the men, Lord God. Put your hand upon the men. Do mighty things among them, Lord. Lord, let them have a great day, dear Lord. Let them be honored and blessed. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen.